We're studying uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Credible Christian Offerings. So this will pick us up in the weeks uh, prior. Uh, two weeks ago, we saw, uh, last few more than that actually, several last month, we saw uh, the uh, three things that we need to do to have a credible Christian giving. Look for Christian, uh, look for giving examples, live for giving opportunities, listen to giving advice. And uh, tonight, and that took us through all of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And uh, tonight we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, and we're going to go through the first five verses. So uh, we're going to be talking about preparing our mind um, as a, when we offer to the Lord. And so this really goes hand in hand with what we were talking about this morning. So Second Corinthians chapter 9, verse 1, let's read the text together and we'll break this out and see how far we can go. It says, For as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. For I know that the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. Yet I I sent the, the brethren, lest your boasting of you, lest our boasting of you, should be in vain in this behalf, that as I said, you may be ready. Lest happily, if the Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, uh, that we, say not ye, should be ashamed in this same confident boasting. Therefore, I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof ye had noticed before, that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as, and not, uh, as of covetousness. Heavenly Father, just help us to understand what we're reading. Lord, uh, we, you are the teacher. Holy Ghost is our teacher to teach us all things whatsoever we said to you. We pray, God, you just illuminate our understanding of the words on this page and give them practical application. We thank you and ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when you look at this text, it's like you're reading someone's, obviously we're reading a letter. You can see how personal it is uh, when you read this epistle. You know, Paul wasn't thinking, I don't think probably that this was going to be spread as, you know, God's uh, written, preserved word for all of eternity. He's really getting specific. He's like, hey guys, remember what we talked about? Make sure you have that ready. I mean, it's, it's really, really uh, functional uh, kind of communication. And, uh, and he's, and it's really something that we can learn from because he's really telling them, you guys need to be prepared to give. And we know if, cause we spent several weeks talking about chapter eight, how the giving example of the Macedonians was so uh, prevalent in his mind. And now he's asking them and wanting them to actually execute on being a giving example. And so the first step for doing that, and by the way, I'll give, I'll go ahead on the text. We're going to look at two things. You got to prepare your mind, you got to prepare your heart, and then you got to prepare the harvest. So that's the three things we're going to look at in this chapter. But tonight we're looking at right now preparing your mind. So God wants us to have a prepared mind so, uh, so we know why we give. And so that's, that's what we need. We need a prepared mind to know why we give. And, um, you know, that, isn't it nice to know why you're giving? You know, not just like blindly. So Paul, Paul's letting them know why they're given. And uh, point A there is prepare your mind through discipleship. That's a theme. Prepare your mind through discipleship. So prepare your mind is point number one. Uh, God wants to, uh, us to have a prepared mind so we know uh, what, um, uh, sorry, why, I'm sorry, why we give, not what we give, why we give. And so we need to prepare our mind through discipleship. Randy Foster is calling me. So, let me get this. Hello? I think it's an accidental call. Sorry. 
So that was weird. He doesn't usually call me while I'm in here. So anyway, point A, prepare your mind through discipleship. So uh, in verse 1 there it says, For as touching the ministering to the saints, it is superfluous for me to write to you. And so discipleship makes teaching on giving superfluous. Isn't that something? Now that, what, is the, what does superfluous mean? Yeah, it's not necessary. I'm glad you know those things because I was waiting. If you wouldn't have had an answer, I don't know that I'd have known. I'd have been thinking, man. No, I, I do. You're right. No, superfluous. That's a that's a fancy word, isn't it? And so, I used to read that and go superfluous. You know, so you gotta superfluous. When you see superfluous, it's superfluous. You know, you just gotta keep moving there. But uh, so prepare your mind through discipleship. See what he's saying there is that you know what, guys, because you guys, um, when when we're talking about ministering to the saints, it, it, it's really not necessary for me to write this to you. You guys are you guys are doing what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, so the word superfluous. That's funny. I just stumbled over it. Superfluous means exceeding in abundance. Actually, it's not necessary because it's exceeding in abundance. So it really means because you've got to have an abundance. You know, I. You know, it's not necessary. You've, everything's met in this category. It's an exceeding in abundance. So Paul's saying that there's no need to, to go over what's already been purposed in the mind of the Corinthians to do. Uh, Paul had his uh, had uh, discipled faithful men who were able to teach others also. And we've already seen how Titus had done a great job of preparing the church to have a proper mindset toward the collection for the saints in Jerusalem. And so uh, this is what's cool. Is discipleship makes it superfluous for me to spend all kinds of time teaching on giving and the distinction between tithing, offering, and sacrificial giving in our church. I will be at the end of the, uh, the, end of the month, uh, and, as, and we get into and here and there along the way. As I find in the text, I'll preach in giving. I try to plan on maybe once a year. Uh, not try to, but I, I intend to. I've missed it the last couple of years, but I intend, to, I intend to preach once a year on giving to the church. Not everybody in our church is, a, is in discipleship or understands all those things. But I don't, I just, ha- I talked to somebody recently that joined our church or wants to join our church. Um, oh, it was last week. And they were telling me that the churches they were in before, that's all they talked about every week was you need to give more money. You need to give more money. You need to give more money. And they were just totally turned off by that. It would turn me off too. When I was lost, I was so skeptical of churches. I thought all churches were about was collecting your money and it was all a scam. And so, um, I did, I just, that's what I thought. I thought these churches are a joke. It's all about money grubbing. And that was my attitude before, until I got saved. But then I, even after I got saved, I was very skeptical, cynical. It would probably be a better idea. Yes, ma'am. And I would say that they didn't have because they didn't give. You know, when you bring it in, you've got to have it going out. So they didn't give it. They didn't give. Yeah, they weren't givers. Yep. Amen. So discipleship teaches us how to give. Discipleship by its very nature, outside of, it's about time, it's about talent, and of course there's also treasure involved. And so people that follow Jesus, uh, you know, they should be givers. Uh, and, uh, and so if God has our heart, he'll have our pocketbook. So discipleship though, though does, we don't do a lot of teaching on, practically speaking here, on giving all the time because, well, we take care of it in discipleship. Uh, discipleship takes care of, of that. Lesson number 10, uh, but more than lesson on monetary giving, it's really about our whole life, right? So if God has our heart and he has our life, he'll have our pocketbook. And so, uh, and so it's superfluous, hopefully. Uh, so credible Christians make, uh, uh, make ministry uh, to the saints a priority. 
Now we're talking about credible Christians, and Paul's interested in this. He doesn't. He's saying, as we looked in verse four, he's like, I don't want these folks to come and find you guys not ready. You know, that would make you um, uncredible, not incredible. <laughs> so, um, and so you're not credible if you're if you're not prepared. So he's like, hey guys, make sure you're ready, and and he's saying you guys have ministered to the saints, so you have a ready mind to minister, and so. Um, you know, I, I talk to pastors all the time, and they, they t- ask me, you know, I'm actually getting ready to teach a class on ad- admin and HBI. You know, how do you organize? How do you structure the church? What do you do with finances? Um, and some, I will say, some pastors uh, are not very very good with that, and so they need help, definitely a lot of help around them on that. Um, but, you know, what I tell a lot of them uh, is w- what we do is we, we tithe, and it blows people's minds away that we that our church tithes which to me is like uh, common sense we don't even i mean we give more the church gives more than that the church body um i don't even some years it's ridiculous how much i mean it seems great it's it's definitely a cheerful gift it's a it's delirious uh it's cheerful to the point it's like wow people give a lot of money um but in addition to our budget so we're going to give 30 some thousand forty thousand dollars a year out of this church out of our regular budget not not get not counting the two almost three thousand that just came in last week at christmas offering and not counting other offerings along the way but just just right off the top our church is going to give over thirty thousand dollars to missionaries directly you know not to organizations not to not to some you know not to well programs i mean we're going to give them to people that we know believe the word of god are preaching the word of god doug pearson type people involved in making differences in in places people we can get our hands on get our, our hearts around i mean real Real battles, as I like to call them, we're going to be involved in that, and 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 on top of that, then I would I, we typically I'm not embellishing on this. It's not uncommon for us to double that when it comes to people in our church over and above, given to they'll match that again, you know. And then our church also gives more than that by the time we invest in other things like vision conference, mission conference, the Bibles that we send out to Sierra Leone and here, there, and yonder, and so it's a lot. When you look at ministry in our church. Over a third of our budget is set to that. Not counting what you guys do to help support me, my family, and our staff, and Pastor Randy. And so, so the church is a giving church. We're not banking a bunch of money right now, uh, but praise the Lord, we're spending it on 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 serving and ministering. And and so our mind is to give, <clears throat> and and when we give, you know, that's a blessing. And uh, and so some people think it's silly. I've been told that you know you shouldn't, you should back off, you should turn that tap off. Uh, on that missions man because you could do this and this and this with that you know that's that's a salary for somebody that's uh you know you could pay off your building in so many years faster think about that i mean we owe how much do we owe now jeff 200 300 000? i don't remember it's just below three so we owe just below three hundred thousand, man if you if you applied thirty thousand dollars a year to that building payment think how fast you could pay that off you know and and boy that's tempting isn't it <clears throat> But uh, at the end of the day, you know what? We're going to give. Uh, we're going to give to missions, and uh, that's what we're going to do. So, um, you know, this one pastor did tell me that it was silly for us to do that, to do missions like we're doing while we have a building payment and all of that. And you know what that told me about him? Uh, he didn't have a lot of understanding of what God prioritizes financially. 
when it comes to ministering to other saints. A few years ago, we had a brouhaha around here on ministry and missions, and people were kind of bent out of shape because we're all because I and we are always talking about over there, over there, over there. What are we doing about right here? Well. Uh, when you're, we're doing a lot right here. We spend over, we spend a ton of money right here in the United States. We don't spend a ton of money overseas. You think $30,000, $30, think about it this way. Uh, we, uh, a church like ours, we'll spend a couple hundred thousand dollars ministering right here for this. We're going to spend over a hundred thousand dollars this year on all this and the property and, uh, and the budget, you know, just about, that's about right. About a third of our budget is just going to go to the facility's needs. By the time we pay the bills, pay the mortgage payment, take care of air conditioners that break, you know, pay the utility bills, put up lights, a third of our money. Don't tell me we're not investing in Cass County. We got all kinds of ministry going on in Cass County. We got we, when the jail's open. We got jail ministry. We got life issues ministry. We got we got Bible studies going on. We're all about us in America. What are you kidding me? <laughs> so, so taking a, taking ten percent of our budget and sending it to people who are absolutely living literally from meal to meal, from breath to breath. And Jeff's been there. He knows I'm not exagger- I'm not embellishing it. I mean, these people, and they're not complaining. That's how they. That's how life is done. They're excited about the gospel. They're more excited than we are, and they have way less uh, material investment. I'm just. I'm, not, I'm preaching the choir tonight. I know, but uh, you're on Sunday night, so you can really hear my heart a little clearer on Sunday nights. You don't. I'm not going to be this transparent probably on a Sunday morning, but you know, I'm like, come on. What do you mean we're not investing here at home? Uh, we, we 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 go to we go to Louisiana when it floods. We go to Joplin when the tornadoes come. Uh, where, where do you want us to go? What do you want us to do? What, PTSD? We'll do that too. I mean, what are, life issues, addicts? We'll do that. What do you want us? To, we'll do all of it. You know, we're, we're not. We're not. We shouldn't break our arm, patting ourselves on the back. How we're reaching the world out there. There's a lot of resources put on right where we are, and you know, and like I said this morning, the jail is still filling up with people. There's still people cutting off our catalytic converters out in the parking lot. So, I mean, <laughs> we obviously aren't doing that good of a job. So we need to get after it right here. And uh, and money's not the answer at the end of the day. It's Jesus and putting the word first and getting the word where it needs to go on time. And so uh, so when there are causes that are just and, and right, like this one in Jerusalem that Paul's talking about and, and projects that we need to give toward, man, we should do that. And, and we should have a heart to do that. Because we, uh, if we don't make the welfare of others our interest, we will have the worldly mindset of what's in it for me. What can we? What can I get? Uh, and not to say, by the way, if the if there's people suffering in the body, we should we should certainly minister the needs of the body. If there's people suffering in the community, uh, we should minister the needs of the community. So I'm not saying that we should not do that. Um, you know, we should do it all simultaneously. By the way, a principle in giving here at our Heartland is that we give, uh, based on the book of Acts, chapter uh, 1, uh, and what Jesus told the disciples there as he was getting ready to ascend, is go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the, the world. So that was something to be done simultaneously. It, has to, it can only be done supernaturally. But it also does need to be done strategically. He didn't just say, yeah, just go everywhere. Now, he said... Uh, go ye there, go go to Jerusalem, 
Judea, and he's and when he said it, it was simultaneous. He didn't say then, then, then. Go you to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the earth. It wasn't one or the other. It was all. And so you can't do all unless you're strategic, especially when you're a small church in the middle of Cass County. You have to decide, okay, we're going to do all, but we're going to do a portion of all. Because you can't do all at once. We don't have the resources. But we have Jesus. And so he gives us wisdom how to strategically invest in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth, meaning our own locality, and then the kind of the rings on the trees we go out. And it's not like, well, once we get Jerusalem taken care of, we'll go to the next level. If you wait till that happens, you may never go to the next level, right? And so you've got to do it all simultaneously because that's what faith is about. Strategically, yes. Simultaneously, yes. And supernaturally, it's a must. All right. Is that making sense? That's point A. Uh, And so point B, uh, our credibility is not based on what we think, but what we do. And in verses 2 and 4, he deals with that. He says, I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast of you to them at Macedonia, that Achaia, which is a region there of Greece, was ready a year ago. By the way, do you remember who, was, who lived in Achaia? Remember who in 1 Corinthians, who was the first fruits of Achaia? No, not Priscilla. That's a good, that's a good one, though. She was awesome. I think Priscilla might have been a Macedonian, actually. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm thinking of the... Who's the girl who ran the scripture to Rome? Phoebe. Yeah, Phoebe, I think, was a Macedonian. Um, in First Corinthians, Paul takes another example, and a guy named Stephanus. He goes, he was the first fruits of Achaia. So that, that's the same region there, just I think it's northwest of... Am I, you're from Greece. Is Achaia... Do you know where that's at? You lived in Greece, didn't you? Is that northwest of Athens? Okay, I think it's. Uh huh. South southwest. I'm thinking Achaia was north of there, if my memory's right. Um, north of the Athenia, all of that rich area. Uh, but Paul's talking about Achaia was a region there in, in Greece, and Greece isn't that big. How big is Greece? It's, you know, like, it's it's smaller than Missouri by far. About the same size? Yeah. So it's a, it's a, you know, we're talking hundreds of miles, not, you know, thousands and thousands of miles. So he says there, he's, so I know the forwardness of your mind, for which I boast uh, of you to them of Macedonia, that Achaia was ready a year ago, and your zeal hath provoked very many. So he's he's actually giving them credit because if you go back to chapter eight, remember, he says, "Hey, I got you. Got to know this. You got to wit, right? You got to witness the grace of God that's upon the churches of Macedonia." Now we see. You know why they're so fired up? Because well, I was boasting on you guys. I was telling them how awesome you're doing, and so they got fired up, and now they're doing awesome. So now Paul's coming back and saying, "Now they're doing so awesome. I I don't want the boys from Macedonia to come and find you guys like loafing, you know." So I'm just telling them what you promised, so I just want you to be ready when they come, because I don't want to disappoint the Macedonians, because, man, those guys, they're given beyond their ability uh, in Macedonia. And so and so that's what Paul's talking about there. He's boasting to the churches of Macedonia of the commitment the churches of Achaia had made to the saints in Jerusalem. And so Macedonia, which is which in my notes, Jeff, if I read, is north of Greece, was looking uh, to Achaia, the southern half of Greece... So you're right there for the leadership in this ministry uh, to the saints. 
And so our credibility here at HBF does not rest in what we say about reaching the world for Christ. Man, I'm glad I'm saying this tonight. I need to hear this sometimes. Sometimes when you're speaking and preaching, you need to hear what you're saying. I need to hear this tonight. HBF's credibility does not rest in what we say about reaching this world for Christ, but what we do for reaching this world for Christ. So we can talk all day about reaching the world, but at some point you got to put up or shut up. You know, you just got to go do it. And uh, so Paul does not want the saints at Corinth to be embarrassed by the saints of Macedonia when Titus drops by to pick up their offering. That's really what he's saying. So that's point B. And then point C, uh, he says, be prepared to back up your commitments. Uh, you're giving commitments. So uh, so as we come down through verse 5 here, which is about as far as we need to go tonight, he says, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren that they would go before unto you and make up beforehand your bounty. Whereof you had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. All right, so be prepared to, to, to back up your giving commitments. Uh, you know, in general, this is a good principle. We need to prepare so we're not ashamed. You know, think about that in the context of what I was saying. This I ended the message this morning. The last mention of his work is actually dealing with not Jesus' work, but our the works of those that God is going to judge. Now, obviously, we get judged at the judgment seat of Christ for the things done in the body, whether they be good or bad. Uh, there'll be those coming out of the, the tribulation. Uh, they'll be judged differently because it's a different situation. There'll be those that come out of the millennium. They'll be judged differently. There'll be those of the great white throne judgment. But anyway, ultimately, at the end of the day, um, we need to be... We enter, we got You're saved unto good works, like I ended this morning. And so when it comes right down to it, we need to be prepared and not ashamed. All relationships, think about this, all relationships are ultimately about giving. Uh, when we make a commitment that we are not prepared to keep, you know what happens? We become a shame. That's what a marriage is about, right? You make a, you stand at the altar, you make a commitment. I'm going to give my life for you, baby. Oh, I'm going to give my life for you, sweetie. And you just, everybody's in love and everybody's about giving. And that's the way it's supposed to stay. Um, It's about the other. All relationships are about giving. But when we make a commitment and we're not prepared to give, it becomes shameful. You know, a lot of husbands and wives in our society make giving commitments at the altar. And they say they're prepared to deliver only to, to dissolve the marriage and what becomes often a shameful divorce. And um, now, I'm not saying that there aren't justified means for divorce. I mean, that does, I mean, that happens. But, you know, when you think about the vows, what does richer or for poor mean? You know, it means, well, rather rich or rather poor. You know, my mom was just sharing with me. My dad was, you know, my mom was 16 and pregnant, and my dad was 17, you know, when they got married. And, um, and she was saying that he was so young, he couldn't keep a job. And she went to the job one day somewhere up on Nolan Road, and he was already, he wasn't there. He'd already, he'd already let him go for whatever reason. And, uh, and he was a hard work, my dad was a hard working man. And, uh, and of course, her being a young lady back then, she doesn't work, and this is 1960. And, um, um, she was just telling me this just over the Christmas holidays, you know, kind of reflecting back on those first few years of how hard it was on my dad. She said he had ulcers in his stomach. And, uh, did you hear her tell, tell me about that? He had ulcers and, uh, and all of that. And, 
because he was worried sick about trying to provide, you know. Uh, that was when they were poor. <laughs> so, you know, that's a lot of pressure on a, on a couple. Um, and so, you know, uh, but it, what her, you know why she was sharing that? What we were just talking about, his commitment to give. You know, he was so committed to trying to provide. And, of course, it all worked out. He ended up doing, doing very well as far as working. But she, she told me the first few years I was not so sure about, you know, is, he, is this guy going to be able to bring home the bacon or not, you know? And uh, when he was, because he wasn't very old, and he was having a hard time maintaining a job back then. And so, um, so you know, relationships, man, for better, for worse, if she would have just given up, man, that would have that have messed up my family. I know that, uh, huh? I wouldn't have been around. That's right, because there's another decade before Brian came around. <laughs> so, so, uh, so, uh, what is what does in sickness and, and in health mean? Well, it means in sickness and in health. Uh, Amy does a good job. Of, do you do? A, my wife does a good job. She does a better job of taking care of me than I do her. I'm kind of like suck it up, Buttercup. And she's always like, you want some soup? You know, so she's good. I'm sorry, honey. Um, she used to get mad at me. I'd get sick. So it was to me when I got sick, I had the flu. It was a day off work. So I'd be out changing the spark plugs, you know, like NyQuil here, spark plugs there. I was just, I'm like, hey. Because that's when I was young and, and stronger and foolish. But uh, now when I get sick, I'm like, I think I'll lay down now. So I'm glad I got a wife that takes care of me when I'm when I'm sick. And... Um, and, uh, you know, it's important. And what does for as long as we both shall live mean? Oh, that's a giving. All those are giving commitments, you know. Those aren't just, hopefully you can receive, obviously, when you're on, on, the, on the other end of those things. But those are giving commitments. Uh, and less and less, you know, what happens is we break our vows to God and to one another. And, uh, and then not just in, in marriage, but in general. And not keeping our word. And, uh, you know... And I'm guilty of that at times. Sometimes I overcommit to things, and I'm like, "Oh, I had a meeting yesterday. I had a meeting on New Year's Day. Amy was. I was out. I was out helping Sam get the ice off his windshield. He had to go to work, you know. And I had a three o'clock meeting that I had set up, and all of a sudden, Jeremy Bonson's on my phone, and I'm supposed to be on on Zoom meeting, you know. And I'm like, I'm a liar. I said I'd be there at three, and I'm out in the driveway, you know, scraping people's windows and stuff. So. You know, those things happen, but I needed to be more diligent. I felt really bad about that. So so we must, we, you know what, we need to make sure we keep our, our word. And that's really what Paul's saying. Hey, guys, you need to make sure you keep your word, because when you don't, it's a, bad, it's a shame. It's a shame. And so, you know, I don't think that's as much of a value today as it was um, 30 years ago, and certainly not 60 years ago. There was a time where there used to be a saying, a man's word is his bond. There used to be... I just literally gave someone counsel the other day. Oh, it was... Uh, who was that? I don't remember. But I was in a conversation, and they, and they wanted to do a deal on a handshake. My son, I remember Sam was there, and I said, Sam, never do... It. This is terrible, but I said this. Never do a deal on a handshake. You need a contract. I know. And when I said that, I thought, that's a shame, isn't it? How cynical I am. But I used to live in the contracting world. That's why I said that. You need a written contract because it's legal and binding. Why do we need written contracts? Because they don't keep their word. And those written contracts are a shame. Isn't it a shame that we need written contracts? It really is a shame. 
And I thought about that. I thought, you know, here I am teaching my son, you need a written contract. I'm doing, why am I doing that? Because I want to protect him from the world in which we live. Well, and now, even the written contract are like so vague or complicated that nobody can ever figure out what the contract really means. And so what that means is, I mean, that takes me back to Luke 11.52 where Jesus said, you lawyers have taken away the key of knowledge. Neither enter in yourselves, and those that would enter in, you hindered. I mean, Amen. I know he was talking about the kingdom of heaven. I think he's talking about the Facebook access. So, <laughs> so the little button you hit when you try to get access to social media. So, you've got to have a lawyer like you to understand what it says. Yeah. So you've got to get somebody. So it truly is a shame. Yeah. And it's just, that's a real, that's a, this just happened in the last week over the holidays. And I, it is a shame. I even, the Spirit of God kind of convicted me about that. And like, you know, it's a shame I'm teaching my son this for his protection. But, uh, yeah, in, in contracting, in contracting, you, you got to be careful because the handshake won't do anymore. And so, uh, so, but it should, among Christians, our word should be our bond. We should keep our word. And uh, even if others don't keep their word. So in verse 5 there, he says, Therefore, I thought it necessary, right, uh, to exhort, right, to encourage the brethren that they would go before you, uh, unto you and make up beforehand your bounty, whereof you had noticed before that the same might be ready as a matter of bounty and not as of covetousness. So what is that really? It's kind of our, it's kind of like, what is he saying about there? It's not hard to read it. It's hard to discern what he's saying. So when he's talking about bounty, he's talking really about the blessing, the financial blessing that they're going to be given to the churches in Jerusalem. Uh, but the covetousness refers to really extortion. He's like, I'm not trying to extort money out of you, right? Uh, Amy and I were extorted recently by our city. It doesn't feel good to be extorted, but it happens. So he's like, you don't, you don't have to. He already said that in the previous chapter. You don't have to give, but you, you, you've made this commitment. So God's not asking you to give more than you have. He's asking you to give what you have and give what you've committed. That's all. No more. And so we're not trying to extort anything out of you that you haven't already been forward to give, right? And so we just want it to be ready before we get there. And so when I worked in the business world, certain vendors would demand uh, charitable contributions of their favorite charity for consideration on future employment, right? And, And Paul is not doing that. So that would be that would be the covetousness that Paul is speaking to. But there are companies out there that would do that. So if you if you want contracts with them, right, you give to their charitable causes that they want you to give to, whether you really want to give to them or not, because the contract you're going to get next year is worth giving to whoever the United Way this year. You see, because because we got to we got to have a banner over our building that says we give the most to the charitable whatever in Kansas City or the Midwest or whatever. You see it I've see this all this like it's all just phony. It's they're not giving. They're forcing us to give. Yeah, it's all well the the whole heart of it is wrong. And that's what Paul's saying. You know what? This is we want to take the bounty, right? What you said you had, what you said you're willing to get. We're wanting to just have that prepared. We're not wanting this to be an issue of extorting or taking money out um, covetously. You know, uh, don't. This is not about that. This is, uh, you know, it, it's not charity. 
it's extortion, <laughs> right? When you force people to give, um, and that's not bounty, right? Then, then that's duty. So instead of bounty, it becomes a duty. Like if you know, they even call it when you enter a country, it's your duty to give a certain amount of money for the good, for the value of the goods that you bring in. It's, they call it duty. It's like a tax. It's a certain value. And so he's. This isn't a duty. This is a bounty. You know, he's like, guys, this is this is this is grace. And uh, and so have your grace ready. We're going to send them by. Have it ready. Have your bounty ready. Um, and so uh, and so it's all. And so you don't feel like somebody's coming and extorting you for your cash, right? Just just we're, we're dealing with your commitment. We're dealing with your bounty. Have it ready so that we're not discouraging the folks from Macedonia and and you live up to the press that that has encouraged them to be so gracious. You guys tracking with me on that? And so God is not the Pope. No, he's way better than that. So we do, not, yeah, especially this pope. So we do not give uh, to him grudgingly or out of the duty, because he demands a tax from us, or he'll cast us into hell. You know, that's what that's back in the Reformation days, back when uh, Martin Luther, uh, you know, got fired up and wrote his ninety-five thesis. Uh, that was one of the things they would do. They would literally go around and extort money out of people, get your relatives out of hell. And people would buy into that business. You know, if you want Uncle Ted out of hell, you know, you give us so much money. And they had indulgences. You can, pay, you know, pay other people, pay your way out of hell. It's crazy. So we give to God willingly and liberally because he gives us everything, including each breath we take. And it's our blessing, right? It's our bounty um, to be used of him. It's grace and it's goodness. So we don't give our lives uh, and and uh, and our money to God. It's really His money and it's His life uh, out of necessity uh, or duty. We give it because it's a it's a bounty. It's a blessing. You know, God is. When you think about the fall harvest horns, the horn of plenty, right? There's stuff flowing out of the horn of plenty, right? That's why we give because we gr- we really grasp hold of all that we have in Christ. How can we not give? All right, so there's a certain mindset in those first five verses that Paul's really talking to the... He's really setting up their mindset. So understand, guys, that you're giving out a bounty, not out of duty, right? Not out of covetousness, and, and this is all grace. He didn't use the word grace. I'm using that word, but but we're wanting you to be ready to give your bounty, your goodness, your, your you know, the, the amount that you said you had. Not the amount that you don't have, but the amount that you have. He settles that earlier and uh, in the previous chapter. So so they're going to send Titus by, pick that up so that they, they're ready to be an encouragement to the Macedonians. All right, any questions on that section? I'm going to park it there. We'll come back and hit the heart next time. Hitting the heart, that could really hurt somebody. So you know what I mean. So we're going to touch on the heart. That's the <laughs> best. Yes, that's construction in Kansas City. So I'm going to stop there. Hope that didn't go on the airwaves too far. All right.